Welcome to the Therapeutic Food Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Marion Mitchell. I'm an integrative nutrition health coach, therapeutic diet expert, and founder of The Road to Living Whole. There are many different diets out there. It's hard to know which one is right for you with your chronic illness and autoimmune disease. In this podcast, I'm going to share with you the foundational pieces every single therapeutic diet out there shares, and also how to use the best one for your particular diagnosis. If you've been looking for a meal planning partner, help navigating the complicated healthcare system, and want to feel better quickly, I'm your girl. Grab your kombucha and notebook. Let's dive in. Are you completely exhausted, gaining weight like crazy, feeling like an emotional basket case, constantly constipated and losing your hair? Have you had your labs run and your doctor said everything is fine and you just need to take better care of yourself? Or maybe they tell you you have an underactive thyroid, but then it just stops there. It's beyond frustrating. What we in the holistic health world know is that there's a root cause to your symptoms And it is often missed for years while you continue to feel worse and worse and worse. There is an autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's thyroiditis that is often the actual case of your hypothyroidism or underactive thyroid. Joining me today is Dr. Carolyn Stone to talk to us about all things Hashis. If you are new to the podcast, Dr. Stone joined me in episode 15, where she walked us through what it looks like to work with a naturopathic doctor and have one on your medical team. I'm so excited she's back and taking us deeper into Hashis. Dr. Stone, welcome back. Hey, thank you so much for having me again. And I am super excited to talk about Hashimoto's because you know, this is my bread and butter. This is what I love to do. It's the focus of my practice. So I'm super excited to share what I know so that more people can be better informed and get what they need out of their doctors. Yeah. I think both of our goal is just that people know what's going on and what their options are. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I think where I would like to start is let's define Hashimoto's. And maybe walk people through some of the symptoms that are often missed. Yeah. So Hashimoto's is actually the most common cause of hypothyroidism in the U.S. and for other developed countries as well. So anytime someone tells me they have hypothyroidism, I almost automatically assume that they have Hashimoto's. It's not always the case, but it's generally the case. So Hashimoto's, what's happening there is it's an autoimmune disorder, And so your immune system is not recognizing your thyroid cells as belonging to you, right? They think it's a bacteria or a virus or some type of foreign invader, and it's creating antibodies against the thyroid cells. So we'll get into, I'm sure, labs and that here in a minute, but antibodies is one of the ways that we know somebody has Hashimoto's. And so with Hashimoto's, the interesting piece is that you can have a wide array of symptoms. You can have both hypothyroid symptoms and hyperthyroid symptoms. So let's kind of delineate, well, who's going to have what, right? So oftentimes in an active thyroid uh, flare or Hashimoto's flare, what you're going to see is more hyperthyroid symptoms initially. And that's because as those cells, thyroid cells are being destroyed, the cells are releasing thyroid hormones. So T3 and T4, mostly T4, but a little bit of both. And so you get this rush of thyroid hormones into the system. So it feels like you have too much thyroid hormone, right? Or active thyroid hormone. And that's hyperthyroidism. 
And it gets a little tricky because oftentimes we're only looking at TSH. So TSH will be low in this case for some folks. And then T3 and T4 could be high when they're in a hyperthyroid state. So I think the best way to describe a hyperthyroid state is almost like you've had too much caffeine, right? Heart's kind of racing, might be sweating, could even be losing weight, um, anxiety, insomnia, hair loss. You can have hair loss with both hyper and hypothyroidism. So really like head to toe, just imagine that your body is on the fritz, right? And there's just too much activity. But then once those thyroid hormones get removed from the system, right, because the body's eventually going to flush those out, then they often move into a hypothyroid state. So in that case, everything is slowed down. So it's kind of the opposite of hyperthyroidism, where they might have weight gain, they're going to feel kind of puffy, um, constipation versus in hyperthyroidism, it can often be diarrhea, right? So you have all these opposites. Um, again, you can have the hair loss dry skin versus sweating. So imagine that they're complete opposites of each other. And that's why it's really difficult for people who have Hashimoto's because they feel kind of crazy, right? One day you're like off the wall, <laughs> too much energy, don't know what to do with it, sweating, right? Uncomfortable. And then the next day you're like in your bed, can't move, right? And usually it's not quite that drastic from one day to the next, but it can certainly like over the course of even like a week or a couple of weeks, shift from one to the other. Now, the interesting piece with Hashimoto's that's different from, let's say, hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism is you'll have some other symptoms that you don't always see with those pieces. Like they'll often have more what I consider like autoimmune type symptoms. So they might have rashes. Um, they might have like really significant joint pain. They can have migraines. And not to say that hypo and hyperthyroid states can't have those symptoms, but they're going to be a little bit more intense in people who have Hashimoto's. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I love that you talked about all of that. You and I have been working together for a long time. So I, I deal with, I do have a lot of Hashi's clients as well. And it's like what you described is exactly what they say over and over <laughs> and over again. It's like the same story. Um, so let's talk about testing and labs. I think what's really frustrating is, you know, as we know, it takes like what, five or six doctors and, you know, however often you are willing to change doctors and try to get more answers, you know, mm -hmm. average is what, like three to five years, I think, for diagnosis. So you're feeling crazy before you finally go to the doctor and then you're feeling absolutely crazy after. So it makes me think of I have a client who she went to like a functional medicine doctor, got all these labs run, felt like she had answers, went to her PCP and he was like, oh, that and just dismissed everything. And so now she just feels crazy. And I'm like, oh. And then she's like, well, what's the point in changing what I'm doing if it's not going to do anything? And I'm like, it, it does. Right. It does. Um, mm -hmm. But people want answers. But if we're not if we're if we don't know what test to ask for, we're not going to get those answers. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So this is one of the biggest differences between conventional doctors and like naturopathic and functional medicine doctors is the type of labs that we run. So in the conventional system, they're only checking TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone. So let's talk a little bit about that hormone pathway. So TSH is the hormone that's actually produced by your brain. And that hormone then signals or tells your thyroid gland, which is in the neck. So for people who don't know or who are new to this, the TSH tells your thyroid gland to make T4 and T3, mostly T4, but a little bit of T3. So TSH is, first of all, only checking one part of that pathway, and it's only checking the part that the brain's making. It's not actually telling you what the thyroid gland itself is doing. So a lot can be missed just in that piece alone. So 
TSH should be run. That's helpful information. We'll talk about, well, maybe I'll jump into it now. So reference ranges. Right. <laughs> oh, this is tricky. So the there's different reference ranges depending on which lab you're using, but generally it's about 0.45 to 4.5 is considered normal for TSH. But everything in research and what we see clinically tells us that anything above 2, 2.5, that's getting suspicious for a thyroid disorder. So it's not uncommon for patients to go to their doctor and they've got, let's say, a 4.4 TSH everything's fine. You don't have a thyroid disorder. Everything is functioning perfectly. You are just crazy. You might need an antidepressant, right? This is not what people want to hear. It's not accurate. So that's one piece of it. So you should definitely check the TSH, but you want to make sure it's in an optimal level. Now, the two active thyroid hormones that we want to check are free T3 and free T4. Now, you can check the totals as well, but the free are going to give us, when you look at free, it's telling us what's not bound to protein. So that means what's actually free or available for our body to use. Because if you only check the total, you don't actually see what's available for your body to use, and you might miss that mark a little bit. There's some math you can do to try and figure out free, but why not just test it? It's much easier. Uh, yeah. What is, why is it important to have free T3 and T4? Yeah. Yeah, because if you have, if you, let's say you've got total T4 and it's maybe even in the upper range, but if 70% of that is bound up by protein, your body can't actually utilize that. So even though you're making enough of the T4, if it's not free and available, your tissues can't take that up and use it, which means your tissues are not getting the thyroid hormone that they need, which is going to affect your metabolism, your sleep, your bowel movements, everything, right? So that's what that free tells us. So free T3 and free T4, and you have to check both. So you'll see some doctors who will check TSH and free T4, but then they don't check T3. And there's a, the reason that's important is because about 80% of what your thyroid gland makes is T4, only 20% is T3. But that T3 is actually more biologically active. It's really the workout horse. It's doing all the things. So you can have enough T4 but sometimes you don't have enough T3 because we rely on other parts of the body, mostly the liver, uh, to convert T4 into T3. So if your liver or your muscles or nerves, you know, other tissues that are converting T4 into T3 are not doing that job well, you're still not going to feel great. So you could have decent TSH, decent T4, but then your T3 could be tanked and you still feel terrible, but nobody would know unless they check, right? So TSH, free T3, free T4. Now that just tells you how the thyroid function doesn't tell you anything about the immune system. And that's where the antibodies come in. So there's two main antibodies you're gonna check, which are gonna be TPO antibodies, um, also known as microsomal TPO or anti-TPO, it's all the same thing. Um, and then thyroglobulin antibodies. In Hashimoto's, you could have one or the other, <clears throat> or you could have both be elevated. I would say I see TPO antibodies elevated more than thyroglobulin, but that's just my clinical experience. I've definitely seen both. But if you don't check those, you'll never know that somebody has Hashimoto's. And you can have Hashimoto's or elevated antibodies for like eight plus years before it ever starts to affect the TSH. Because what happens is, like I was mentioning earlier, when the thyroid's under attack, I don't really like to use that terminology, but it kind of helps people get a picture. So when thyroid cells are being actively destroyed, it's going to take a while for enough of those to be destroyed for that TSH to be affected. So again, 
could be eight plus years before anyone knows that. So if your doctor's only checking TSH, you get ahead uh, Hashimoto's for eight, you know, or more years before anyone even recognized that you had a thyroid problem in the first place. So it's really important to check those antibodies because the earlier we can catch it, the easier it is to turn around and preserve as much thyroid function as possible. Awesome. How easy or difficult is it to get that run? Like could somebody, let's say their doctor's refusing to run it. Can they just walk into a lab and Mm -hmm. say, Hey, I want this test. Depends on your state. So in some states you can order your own lab. So here in Arizona, someone could order that for themselves or there's places like, um, online places like let's get checked. If you've ever heard of them before, where they'll send you a kit in the mail to finger stick and you can check them that way but it's not uncommon for doctors to refuse or say they're not going to do it. And some of that is lack of knowledge, right? So they just don't know. Um, And what's the point in testing for something if you don't know how to interpret it and don't know how to treat it. So I'm like, okay, maybe it makes sense that they would say no. The other is whether or not insurance, you know, they might be concerned that insurance won't cover it. I've never, you know, I use insurance for labs. I don't use it for my, I'm not contracted with them for my office visits, but for labs, we use them. And I've never had a problem getting antibodies covered, especially if they like fatigue. If you've got fatigue, I can get it covered. That's easy enough. So yeah, there, there's some options out there, but I know it varies by state who can order their own labs awesome. or not. I love that you talked about not knowing how to interpret them. Like you said, there's difference mm-hmm. between the normal quote unquote ranges and the optimal ranges. And if they don't yep. know what they're looking at, then they're not going to know what to say. So then it takes on liability and risk, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing with Hashimoto's. Well, if they have positive antibodies, what is a conventional doctor going to do? Because all they know, I shouldn't say this, generally what they're going to do is going to prescribe medication. If your TSH is normal, then they have no grounds based on the algorithms that they use to prescribe medication, right? But we know (laughs) on the other side of the coin, right, that there's a million things that we can do to help people feel better when they have Hashimoto's, but maybe still have normal TSH free T3. Which uh, is actually ideal. If we catch it early enough, then there's a lot that we can do so that it stops the destruction of the cells or slows them down dramatically, right? Yeah, that's my favorite. When I catch them early, I'm like, oh, good. Like we can prevent this from getting too crazy and affecting too much of your system. Yeah, exactly right. That's the best place to catch them. Let's dive into that. So we get the diagnosis, you know, and no matter where you are on the spectrum, there's some places that we can start right away that we can start getting the immune system to kind of calm itself down, stop destroying those cells. And we can hopefully start feeling better relatively quickly. I would say not as it's not an overnight. You don't take an antibiotic for 10 days and feel better quickly. But let's talk about like, you know, somebody's they got it. They're like, oh, my gosh, I have this. Where do I begin? Because as I was telling you, I was kind of just looking up what the medical world is saying right now. And it's basically nothing, which blows my mind um, because the science is there. So let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's super frustrating. Cause if you just Google Hashimoto's and look at the conventional treatment, it's like, Oh, you might need medication. Your doctor will tell you diet won't help. Yeah. The one that I saw was maybe you might want to like minimize iodine rich foods and you selenium and vitamin D might help, but we don't really know. And I was like, what do you mean? You don't know. Yeah, absolutely hilarious because we do know (laughs) there's very clear research on this. 
So when I'm starting with someone, really the best place to start is their foundations. And so when I say say foundations, we're talking about what are they eating? How are they eating? Um, stress is a huge piece of that. Looking at their their activity level. So are they exercising on a regular basis? Are they getting sunshine? You know, all those basic things, those have to be in place no matter what, right? Because even if you use, you know, we get... I think a lot of people today are looking for that quick fix still, right? And so they think, okay, what supplement can I take, right? What cleanse can I do? And I'm trying to reframe that for folks and say, okay, the supplements, yes, there's a time and a place and they can absolutely be beneficial with your condition. But if you're not doing the foundational stuff, you're kind of just going to spin your wheels, right? Because as soon as you stop taking that supplement, well, then what? right? What does your body have to land on? There's no foundation there. So building up the foundations and there's lots of different ways to approach that, but let me, let me back up a little bit too. So when we think about Hashimoto's, there is this pretty well-known theory called the three-legged stool of autoimmunity, which I'm sure you know, right? And so that three-legged stool, basically if all those pieces are in place and someone's more likely to have Hashimoto's. And so one of them is genetic predisposition. Not a darn thing you can do about that, right? So if you are genetically inclined to have an autoimmune disorder because of family history, nothing you can do about that. The other two pieces are leaky gut or gut health. Tons of stuff we can do about that. I'm probably, I'm sure you've probably talked about that. Actually, on your I haven't podcast. yet. That's that's on the agenda oh, for yeah, this you'll year. Have to get into yep, that. That's on the agenda for this year. Yeah, yeah, good. Good, good. So making sure the gut is healthy. And so that's there's so many pieces to that, but nutrition is a big one. And then the third uh, leg of that stool is stress. So, you know, if you think about those two pieces, you know, what makes your gut healthy and what keeps uh, your stress in check, right? We're always going to have stress. So it's not about getting rid of stress. It's about learning how to respond better to it, to make the nervous system feel like, hey, everything's all right, <laughs> and that you can get through it faster. And so when you think about the foundations, really it comes back to those two things. Like what are all the things that are going to make those two pieces of your body work better, right? So how do you how do you treat your nervous system and how do you treat your gut? And we know gut and nervous system are very intricately connected and gut and immune system are also very intricately connected. Like 70% of your immune system lives in your gut, right? So that's, those are the pieces that we look for. So like nutrition wise, there's lots of different ways, right? To address this. Oftentimes you'll start with an elimination diet, you know, AIP, sometimes people do carnivore. There's lots of different ways of doing an elimination diet. So you kind of, I don't know, working with a health coach, I think can be helpful because then they know your history, right? And they can say, okay, here's, you know, based on how we know you're reacting to foods now, here's kind of our baseline where we're going to start. The idea is, and we talked about this before, is like, you don't want to stay on AIP forever. You don't want to stay on an elimination diet forever. Eventually you want to expand your palate and expand the amount of foods that you're able to eat and that your body and your immune system is able to tolerate. And then I know I've talked probably ad nauseum <laughs> on my page and other podcasts about strength training. I think strength training is really important for people with Hashimoto's. And I say strength training in particular. Yes, cardio absolutely has its place. Um, but strength training, I think, is really a component that a lot of women are missing. And since women are more likely to have Hashimoto's, I think it's like seven times more likely than men to have Hashimoto's. Uh, I'm kind of speaking to that group of people. And so strength training is important because muscles help regulate insulin. And so glucose regulation is really important for Hashimoto's. Muscle is also one of the places that we um, convert T4 into T3, right? And there's commonly going to be joint and muscle pain for people who have Hashimoto's. And so it's 
it's kind of a hard part for them, I think, because you want them to get moving, but then they also have a lot of pain with moving. So finding that way to introduce it um, is kind of tricky for some folks, but there's always ways around that. So yeah, nutrition, exercise, what I talk about, important, right? Sleep. Yeah. Awesome. I would like to dive a little bit more into food um, because <laughs> yeah, there's let's do it. three types of foods that we know impact Hashi's. Um, and I, and so I'm going to share my story with my daughter who has celiac disease and we go, we got in with an amazing allopathic conventional GI doctor, you know, ever since she was two, when she was diagnosed, we test her thyroid every single year. And I ask for the full, you know, and mm -hmm. also the antibodies, cause I want to make sure it's not being, a, you know, it's the immune system's not attacking it. The cells aren't being destroyed. But, you know, when she was two, he was like, we know that celiac disease and Hashi's go hand in hand. We know that gluten directly impacts Hashi's. And so we always have to look at the thyroid. And that's, you know, I was like, yay, because I knew that <laughs> going in. But like, yep. it's not this is not unconventional to know that gluten and the thyroid don't get along, especially with Hashi's. So I would like to, yes. to dig into those a little bit with you. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole issue with gluten is so in particular gliadin, right? So there's proteins. And what happens is, because you have to imagine, right, your immune system is not recognizing your own thyroid cells as belonging to you. So anything that looks similar to that could also promote a reaction. It's what we call molecular mimicry. Basically, something looks like something else, and we're going to mount a, an attack regardless, as long as it looks close to it. And so gliadin looks very close to an enzyme that the thyroid produces. And so when we eat wheat, right, eat gluten, then that kind of triggers the immune system to mount an immune response. And because in this case of Hashimoto's, the immune is kind of focused on the thyroid, well, then it can increase that response. And I'll tell you, people, when they actually remove gluten, it can be night and day for some folks. For less, for some people, it's not quite as obvious. Um, but for a lot of folks, especially if they're consuming quite a bit of gluten, it can really be night and day. And once they take it out, let's say they've taken it out for a while, they're feeling pretty good, but then they're like, oh, I'm going to have, you know, this little bit, right? I'm going to test it out. Like, just make sure. And sure enough, they blow up, right? Bloating, their joints hurt, they get puffy. Like it really just feels terrible to them. So that's why that piece is important. Avoiding gluten is because it actually triggers the immune system. It's not because you know, everyone needs to avoid it and gluten's evil and all these things. But we also know, right, how wheat is produced in our country. It's sprayed with lots of stuff, right? We have to talk about genetic modification, all of those things. And so all of that makes an impact as well. So, and there are some people, and I'm sure you've heard of this too, that can go to other countries, yeah. right? And have their gluten and not have as big of a reaction. And so I always have to question, all right, is it the gluten? Is it the gliadin? Is it what we're spraying on it? I think it's probably a combination of all those things, but we do know that gliadin impacts the way the immune system uh, impacts the thyroid function. Awesome. Yeah. What about dairy? Dairy. So this is interesting. So I see kind of mixed things on this. So typically in the beginning, I'll have everyone remove dairy because it's a very common reactant for people who have Hashimoto's. But sometimes I find that people are able to add it in back in later. So this one, I don't see 
as significant of reactions as I do with wheat just depends on the person. And that's why we do, you know, the type of medicine that we do or practice the way that we practice because it's about the individual, right? So I initially, so personal story, I used to avoid dairy for a while because I felt like it was, you know, causing some issues for me. Now I enjoy dairy. I don't do it all the time, right? So there's kind of a limit, right? If I were to do it every single day, I'd probably have a problem, but I can have it a couple of times a week and it's not that big of a deal. Also depends on the type of dairy, right? So like ice cream's a big no-no for me. <laughs> like that's just, and I hear that a lot from my patients. They're like, oh, I can have a little cheese, but definitely cannot do ice cream. And I think that goes back to um, like certain combinations are not good for people. So like dairy with sugar, extra bad. Dairy by itself might be able to tolerate it. But for some people, and it, it depends on quality of dairy too. Some people do okay with raw dairy, but not, you know, your conventional pasteurized dairy. So that can make a difference. But for a lot of folks, it can increase leaky gut. So you have to pay close attention to how that's affecting leaky gut because that's going to affect the immune system. Okay. And my last one is soy. Oh, soy. Darn it. Soy is in everything. everything. Gosh. Yeah, it is. Like for anyone who's eating, like I don't eat a lot of hardly any like packaged products, but like anything that's packaged, you have to watch out for soy. We know that soy, well, one, it's not the same quality soy as you would get from like, you know, actual farmers who are doing it like in their own country. Like there's a difference between like soy in Japan and soy here, right? So that makes a difference. It's high, you know, almost always going to be genetically modified. We know it's phytoestrogenic, which is not necessarily a bad thing. So when I say phytoestrogenic, that means that it promotes the estrogen pathway. So that is not necessarily in and of itself a bad thing, but it's very common with people who have Hashimoto's to have estrogen dominance. And so it could be pushing that estrogen dominance, which can cause hormone imbalances, abnormal periods, severe menopause and perimenopausal symptoms. So that's another one where I would say I, I categorize that closer to like gluten as opposed to dairy, like most people are not going to do well with soy and it's much better to take that out and just keep it out. But that that's going to require that people eat a lot of fresh food, which is where I come <laughs> in. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's why I'm like, okay, go see Marion. She'll fix yeah, you up. <laughs> we, if we can do 90% real food, you know, that 10% yes. when we're dining out or traveling or really craving that thing, it's not a big deal yep. usually. Yeah. And that's where your enzymes yep. come in, right. Or taking like charcoal or other things to help move through it. But yeah, 90% is usually what I go yeah, for too. Cause it's, it's hard to be perfect, you know, especially yeah. when we're on the move. So it's like picking and choosing, like if we can control what we do at home and we do most of our cooking and most of our stuff at home, then what we do out has less of an impact. I'm really yes, glad we dug 100%. into those because you know, when I'm initially working with someone who's extremely symptomatic, those are the three that I take away, you know, and then mm -hmm. I, when I transition them onto a more uh, flexible, healthy diet, I'm like, you really, sh you know, you really need to remove these two in dairy week. We're going to have to test and see. Right. And yep. it's, and it is hard, right? Uh, oh, it's mm -hmm. hard if you eat packaged food, I would say. Yes. Or, you know, I, I'm thinking of someone that just cannot give up bread, like just yeah. can't, just loves it so much. And it like, it would just ruin her life to give up bread. And I'm like, or you can just like really suffer and get your thyroid removed. And, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like the, right? the path of not removing it, it it's, it, it's not 
it's not going to be good, pretty down the road. And you might be able yeah. to stave it yeah. off, but and by it, the time you're 40, 45, you know, the thought of nodules on your thyroids, potential thyroid cancer from not addressing it, you know, things like that, like, you know, you don't have to miss out, but there are things that are standard, right? Like, you know, you can yeah. do AIP, you can do carnivore, you can do a therapeutic healing diet. And then when you transition off of it, there's certain things that have to stay, you yeah. know? Um, can we mm -hmm. talk about maybe just touch on nutrients that do support the thyroid? Obviously we want to get them from food, right? Which is a whole food, real yeah. food diet, but we do know that there are certain, certain nutrients that can help support thyroid. And I would like to kind of at least yeah. introduce people into them and then they can do their own research and talk with their practitioner. Yeah. So there's quite a few, but we'll kind of narrow it down to the most important ones. So selenium for sure. Selenium is required for thyroid hormones. So you have to have selenium in order to make thyroid hormones. Um, I know it's interesting because a lot of people talk about Brazil nuts um, for selenium, but that's kind of tricky because um, if you've ever actually looked at the research on it, Brazil nuts have a I mean, from one nut to the next can be completely different amounts of uh, selenium to the point of like almost being toxic. That's why you're not supposed to have too many Brazil nuts because it can actually be toxic to a certain point. So Brazil nuts can be great, but it's also like, okay, you got to be a little bit careful there because I've seen people overdo it. Um, but you know, there's other sources of selenium. Meat is a, a really good one. So selenium is a big one. Um, I, I, I'm going to go back to iodine because you mentioned that earlier. So iodine is important but it has a very narrow therapeutic range and you have to stay within that range or it can make things good or bad, right? So, or I should say bad if you're on either side of that. So I always test. I'm always a fan of testing iodine before treating and iodine is kind of tricky because blood tests are not very accurate. So really the most uh, accurate one is going to be by urine. Uh, and a lot of people are, you know, not willing to do that or don't want to do that. What so, is that yeah. uh, the urine lab? Is that the oat test or is that something else? No. So they do it through, um, ZRT. So it's, uh, are no. you familiar with them mm -hmm. at all? Yeah. So it's, they do like saliva, um, hormones and adrenals. They're kind of like doctor's data or lab okay. works if you've heard yeah. of them. So similar kind of testing, but yeah, so it's not through the okay. test. Yeah. Um, a good question. So yeah, iodine is, is a tricky one. So that like, that's one that I say never supplement unless you know, you need it because there's just a lot of things to consider there, but it is important for thyroid function and it can, it can aggravate those with Hashimoto's. So again, it's like, you have to make sure that you're in that narrow therapeutic range. Um, B12 is another big one. B12 is really important for thyroid function. And that can be tricky for people who are eating a vegetarian or vegan diet because they're notoriously low in B12. So just something to consider there. Um, iron is another one, especially for women, right? So remember, it's mostly women that have Hashimoto's. Um, and especially if you have a regular cycle, right? So if you have a menstrual cycle, you're losing blood every month, you're going to be more prone to having um, iron deficiency, and that can impact thyroid function. Zinc is another one. Zinc, hugely important, not just for the immune system, but for the thyroid, right? So it goes for, for both of those systems. Um, vitamin D, because that impacts the immune system. And so how many people, like, especially since the pandemic are just staying inside all the time, like, oh, we have to get outside and get some sunshine, not just for the vitamin D, but like for your circadian rhythms, for your mental health, so many other things. Um, I would say those are probably the biggest ones. I know I'm leaving some out, but yeah. Those are all the ones I was hoping we would talk about, um, you know, and I, and I love that you talk about testing for iodine. I don't know 
of very many people who've been tested. And, and most people wouldn't even know where to, where to begin for that either. And they wouldn't know that everybody thinks that blood is like the gold standard, but it's Mm -hmm. always so interesting to me whenever, you know, I'm talking with people, with, with doctors, you know, these, you you experts and the, the little tidbits Mm -hmm. that I say, like, you're not going to see this in blood, but you're going to see this in urine or, you know, we can only see this in a stool test or like, it's just so interesting. And I feel like even I, kind of like think of like gold blood is the gold standard right blood has everything right and it's like no (laughs) actually it doesn't like so it's just it's so interesting so I'm really really glad we talked about that and along with zinc like during the pandemic people were taking 50 milligrams every single day right not only were they so nauseous they couldn't function but I was like if that's a mineral you like you can overdo that so I think that Hundred percent. One of the things I would like mm-hmm. to maybe caution people is like here in America, we go big or we go home. If something's good for us, we're going <laughs> to do a lot of it because more is better. And that is not the case. Just like with Brazil nuts, people are like, you can have one or two a day. And how many, I know people that just take handfuls. And I'm just like, that's, that's not, yep. you know, variety is so important. We kind of find those things that we feel are magic bullets. And we kind of just mm-hmm. focus on those instead of just really, like you said, laying a healthy foundation. Yeah. And if you're eating the right foods now, there's a lot to be said about, okay, our foods don't have the same nutrients that they used to have because our soils are not as healthy. But if you're eating a whole foods diet, you're going to be much better off than if you're eating a lot of packaged stuff. And supplements are, they can be tricky, right? There's different forms of vitamin D, some better absorbed than others. There, I've seen vitamin D supplements with like seed oils in them, which is terrible, like you mentioned with zinc. So not only can you become toxic in it, but it should be balanced with copper. So you can have copper issues if you're not dosing zinc correctly. So there's a lot of nuance there. And we know that most of the supplements at like Walgreens and CVS and Walmart are just absolute junk. It's like, stop wasting your money. I'd rather you spend a little bit more, get some quality stuff, but only get what you really need as opposed to just taking a bunch of things because so-and-so on the internet said it, right? Yeah. And, you know, I (laughs) I kind of think of it's like this journey, right? Like we learn something, so we start reading and then Mm -hmm. we start focusing on the individual nutrients and the impact that they have on our health, which I think is great. That's where I started was just researching. I mean, I was reading (laughs) in my early years, I mean, I, I, I mean, I still do read a lot, um, but it was like, mm-hmm. I, I was felt like I was just constantly like every day was a different nutrient. It was like a nutrient of the day. Right. And, or yep. a plant of the day and what it can do for you. Cause it, I think it progresses from nutrients to plants to, oh, wait, meat has this too, to, um, <laughs> okay. I really need a bunch of everything. I can't just eat a bunch of kale and a bunch of steak. Like I need omega three, like you know, it, and it's just like this progression yeah. where we want to go from that, the, the pharmaceutical model of a pill for every ill, and then it gets really expensive. And so then we just kind of mm-hmm. progress. And I think what happens when you work with, with people who know what they're doing and know how to handle a, dis- a disorder is it shortens that curve significantly, saving you tons of money and tons of time and years mm-hmm. of health. Yeah. I would absolutely agree. That's why I say all the time. I'm like, listen, yes, sometimes seeing an HP the doctor can be expensive up front, but it's going to save you so much time and money in the long run. Like my goal with my patients is always get them to a point where they almost don't need me, mm. right? They come in every six to 12 months. 
or if they've got, you know, something more acute going on, they come in. But generally, like I'm trying to give them the tools so that they can handle it themselves. Right. They'll call me and say, OK, I've had a cold for three days. I've done my cold, wet socks. I'm taking my vitamin C. I'm doing my elderberry. Like they call and tell me, OK, I'm doing all these things. Anything else you would recommend. Right. And I, I love that because I'm like, cool, like you're already doing all the things, which tells me you're going to get better faster. So yeah, it, it definitely gets you to the end point and to the goal a lot quicker if you can work with somebody who can be your little guide along that journey. Let's talk about the maybe the sticker shock of cash pay, yeah. right? Um, mm-hmm. It is worth it, but there is that sticker shock. Again, because we are in like an insurance-based mindset, that's what, how we've been trained from birth basically is like you only do what the insurance will cover and you can try to fight it. But if they say no, you're kind of screwed where when you're willing to invest up front, right? Like the cost goes down over time where if you do the insurance-based model, the cost goes up over time. Yep. And so- People are always like, and this, and this, I, this, I experienced this a lot because I'm the last, last resort. You, you know, naturopathic doctors, functional medicine oh, yeah. doctors are the last resort. And then I'm like the last, last resort. Cause everybody's like, well, I should be able to figure <laughs> out food, right? My doctor gave me this handout. They gave me this plan. I can figure it out. You know, they'll meet with me. I'll tell them the price. And they're like, uh, I can figure this out. And then a year, year and a half later, they're like, okay, I tried. And I'm like, that's great. Like, it's yep. great. But it's like, I would have loved to have just given you the foundation now so that you could have just started feeling better quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously doctors are all over the place. Some markup tests, some, some don't, some markup supplements, some don't, but let's talk about the value of the cash pay system really quick. Oh yes. This is one of my favorite topics. So one of the things that I love about cash pay is I don't have anyone telling me what to do. I don't have some insurance company jumping in and say, "Mm, I don't think vitamin D is important. Literally, they don't, they, you cannot get insurance to cover vitamin D unless you already have osteoporosis or you already have a condition that causes malabsorption of vitamin D. So they're waiting until you're sick before they're going to cover the test that would have prevented you from getting there in the first place. So it's very frustrating to me. So I love that. I don't have to listen to them or have someone else dictate someone, you know, behind a computer who has zero medical training telling me how to do my job. That allows me to focus on the person that's in front of me. I'm not worried about what algorithm I have to follow. So in conventional medicine, they have a lot of what are called algorithms. So if somebody comes in with a blood pressure of 138 over 40, all they have to do is look at this algorithm and it tells them, okay, you're going to, well, it's supposed to be like three months of diet and lifestyle, right? But they usually skip that part and you get put on a medication. If that medication doesn't work then you add another medication and basically tells them exactly what to do, right? It's kind of just follow, follow the, the pathway. But in niche path of medicine, we don't have to do that. We can do what makes sense for that person. And so if somebody comes in and I think, okay, well, your blood pressure is high because you are stressed out. Maybe they're a caregiver for their parent or they've had some really big stressful event. Okay, well, then how do we move through that? without a drug, or maybe we give you the drug to keep you safe, but we do the other things too. And so that's one of the benefits of seeing a naturopathic doctor is you can have access to all of these things. Whereas in conventional medicine, it's such a narrow mindset of what they can do for you, right? It's drugs, surgery, you know, and that's kind kind of the end of it. I don't know what else they would even add in there imaging, right? All of these things that don't always get you the results that you want. And so you could 
like let's say i mean i don't know even what insurance premiums are anymore i don't have I don't insurance either. I have so no idea. <laughs> yeah but i know people pay a lot for them right and they think oh i'm going to the doctor i just have this you know 25 or 50 dollar copay but how much are you paying over the course of a year right to get subpar care. And that's not to say that there isn't a time and place for insurance. For me, when I think about insurance, I think about it for emergency care. Like that's for if I'm dying and you know someone needs to save me, okay, then that's what my insurance is for. But when we're looking at the United States where chronic disease, like heart disease, autoimmune disorders, cancer, those types of things, that's not acute care. That requires all the foundational things that we talked about and those are things that conventional doctors, by and large, are not even trained in. So if you really want to get well, or if you want to prevent yourself from developing those things, it makes sense to invest in that upfront. Because once you learn these tools, they don't just go away, right? So my patient learns how to navigate a cold on their own. They learn how to get out of a Hashi's flare on their own or mostly on their own. They know what to do when things are off. They'll draw on me when they need to, right? We check their labs, make sure everything's good. But that knowledge, you get that for the rest of your life, right? And you don't get that in the conventional system. It's like, oh, well, what new drug do I yeah. get? <laughs> and that's only going to take you so yeah. far. Um, yeah. Not only are they not trained in it, so if they want to learn it, they have to study it on their own in the limited time they have because they get $7 for 15 minutes, right? So they're just working yeah. themselves to death to pay off their student loans and stuff. And I know that amount because my mom's a medical biller. So, um, yep. <laughs> You know, so not only, and I think doctors deserve more than $7 for 15 minutes personally, um, especially when it used to be $50 for 15 minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you, and it's, it's hard when you're paying the premium plus you're going to go cash pay. Right. But as you get healthier, that premium still does go down. It does go down. Mm -hmm. Um, but you also might find, Hmm, do I really need it? Because I got better. And instead of spending yep. twelve thousand a year on insurance premiums, I can spend fifteen hundred dollars a year and actually get better. And then it goes down depending on the year because the years you don't get sick, maybe you you know, or yep. if it's an investment like I'm going to get an immune IV so I get healthier faster, you know, versus yeah, you know, it's exactly. like using the money where it's going to benefit you the most versus benefit them the most. Yeah. And I think that's scary for some people to think like, oh gosh, like if I don't have insurance, like what happens, you know? And there's so many other options. Like health shares are a really common thing for my patients. Health shares can be amazing. And I know there's some criteria to get into certain health shares, but that's also the point of like getting well, right? The healthier you are, you know, the less issue you're going to have, but you've got that safety net if you need it. So for people who are listening who are in the insurance model, but maybe you're healthy and you feel like, okay, why am I paying all this money? Or, you know, when I really want to put this towards something else, consider a health share. I don't know how much experience. Yeah. you have experience yeah, with those, I love right? them. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. And I have friends that are in them. I just pay cash. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> but like my kids also have insurance to their dad. So like, I don't have to worry about that because they, but I still pay cash yeah. for them because I want them to get the care that they need. So, you know, it's that, yeah. that conundrum, right? But where mm-hmm. health sharing comes in is they do, they will reimburse for chiropractors. They will reimburse yeah. for naturopathic doctors. They will reimburse for nutrition counseling. But then also if you do get cancer or you are in an accident, even if you have to t- get air flighted out, like they're going to come mm-hmm. in and they are there for the catastrophic. 
you know, so yeah. they allow you to see the doctors that are actually going to get you well, which in the end saves everybody money because it's member supported, right? And then it is there for the catastrophic. So there are tons and tons of options out there. And I think it's just, my goal is just education, right? That's why I have you here. And, and I, you know, I love what you share. It's just such good information. Going to people who are experts is, it's going to give you the most bang for your buck, which is why I wanted you here. Cause that you focus on Hashi's that's, you know, your what you do, that's your expertise. You can do other things. Obviously you're still a doctor. Yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> as I was reading, I just, I forgot how out of touch people are with the foundations of autoimmune disease. And so it's so yeah. great to have you yeah. come in and share. And I love that you talked about the three-legged stool of autoimmune disease. That's yeah. like one of my favorite <laughs> descriptions of it because, you know, genetics load the gun, but they don't pull the trigger. You know, exactly. our our environment and our ability to mitigate stress and pull the trigger. And even after the trigger has been mm-hmm. pulled, we can still come back. Like you're not doomed to feel like 100%. crap forever. You're not even doomed to have poor labs forever. Like you can be in a healthy state. You will get out of that healthy state easier, which is sucky. Like you get a virus or you get, you know, you have a really traumatic, stressful event happen, you know, but then I am always like the blessing is that self-care is always first, you know? So there's like that blessing of like, whoa, things have really gone out of whack. I need to come in and take care of myself and like not putting ourselves off. I see that as a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it it really is because it's, it gives you control, right? Your, your health, your state of well-being is not up to a ton of external factors. Yes. There's external, external factors that are out of your control, but a lot of it is within your control. And I always tell folks, I'm like, whenever you get lost or you feel like you're in the woods and you don't know what to do, just go back to the basics, right? Get your seven to nine hours a night, you know, eat some good nutritious food, you know, meditate, move your body. Like it doesn't have to be complicated. And I think it's very easy, especially with all the biohackers now to get caught up in all, right. Like in all of these things, it's like, Oh, like I had a patient who was like, well, I get really thirsty, but I only get thirsty. Like when I'm getting ready to eat. And I I heard you're not supposed to drink water when you eat and all these things. I'm like, just drink your water. Like you're thirsty. (laughs) That's your body telling you. So it's very easy to get caught up in all these nuances. And I'm like, screw all that. Like when you're not feeling well, (laughs) just go back to like the simplest things and you will start to feel better, right? You can fine tune it later. Like I love to play with different health things, right? I'm like, okay, tweak this. How does it make me feel? But you don't have to do that all the right. time. Like really day in and day out. It's mostly just my routines that keep me yeah. on track. I love that we talk about that because I always feel like right now it's like the the red light therapy, right? And oh, it's the biggest know, thing and right so now. It's like, or, you know, you and they're expensive, they incredibly expensive. And I'm like, you yeah. can get that from sunshine. Like as I was reaching yeah, that, right. as I was researching them, cause I'm like, I really want to understand this. And then I was like, they're like, we mimic the sun. I'm like, okay. So if you're in like the Northern hemisphere during the winter, I actually see this as a worthwhile investment, right? It's going to stave off yes. seasonal depression. It's going to keep, you know, it's going to keep your circadian rhythm good. Like it's going to give you the things that you you're going to feel better during that season, especially because we're in a culture where you don't slow down in the winter. So like, I see that and I'm like, okay, that I can see. Right. But it still is not going to replace fresh air of going outside. It's like, you don't have like the most basic stuff are pretty much free. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Like I know saunas are a big thing right now too. And I'm like, yeah, just get hot and sweaty. It's fine. Like you don't have to invest in these 
you know, really expensive tools to get well. And I think that feels like a hindrance for a lot of folks like, oh, I'm never going to heal my Hashimoto's because I can't afford this, you know, stand up sauna with red light in it and all these things. I'm like, you don't need any, <laughs> just go outside. Yeah. I, <laughs> Vitamin N, right? Nature they, does they so are, much they for are us. great <laughs> tools, but, but are, it's like, I see, them, I see them as therapeutic tools. Like if somebody maybe has MS or is wheelchair bound and can't go out, like that's when something like that would make sense. But if you can get outside or get active, yeah. like I work a lot. So I have like a, a stepper that I got off of Amazon and I'm like, and that's how I get my steps yeah. in because, you know, if I have five minutes between clients, I'm going to get on my stepper, clear my head. You know, I might go outside in my backyard and like, you know, like there's things that you can do and it doesn't have yep. to be complicated at all. Yeah. Yeah. And the majority of people don't need the big fancy things, right? Like the, the biggest chunk of people who need to get well, really just need the basics tackle that first. And then you can add in yeah. the, the fun yeah. things, right. Or if, you know, like you said, if you've got a severe MS flare or, you know, other severe conditions going on, sure. Like that, those things might be an investment for you, but majority of time, like we have everything we need right here. We just have to utilize exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with before uh, we let you go? That's a good question. I would say, you know, for since this is about Hashimoto's, right, just keep coming back to the things that make your gut feel happy and your nervous system feel happy and learn to get in tune with your body and noticing when things are off sooner rather than later. A lot of people are not in tune with their bodies and it's, you know, 10 days into a flare and now they're like, oh, something's up versus, you know, if they were in tune, they might have recognized it on day one, day two. So learn to get in your body pay attention to how things make you feel. How do, how do certain foods make you feel? How does that friendship make you feel? How does your relationship make you feel? Like how, how do you feel in certain situations? And that's going to tell you a lot about what you need to do to get well. Awesome. Thank you. Now, if somebody wanted to find you and maybe work yeah. with you, where would they find you? Probably the easiest place is going to be Instagram because all my things are on there. <laughs> so uh, my handle is Dr. Stone AZ. So Dr. Stone AZ on there. If you go to the link in my bio, you can get a copy of my book, which is like $9.99. Super easy. There's tons of free information on there. I just started a thyroid blog. Um, that's free for now. There's going to be a subscription option later. I also have an email. Yeah. So my, my blog is all about thyroid stuff. Um, I have an email list that I email as well. That's a little bit more generalized. So it's not all thyroid because I've got tons of people on there. So it's a little bit of everything. Um, and then if you want to work with me, the new patient application is on there. If you're in Arizona, if you're not in Arizona, there's an option to do virtual education consults. So if you find me on Instagram, you'll find all the things there. And you can always send me a DM too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. If you found this episode helpful, would you do me a favor and help others find it by leaving a review, sharing a screenshot on social media, or sharing the link with a friend? By you sharing what you've learned, others are able to find this podcast and join our community. Be sure to check out my website, www.roadtolivingwhole.com for over 160 delicious recipes, a variety of meal plans, and a blog packed full of even more healthy living tips. If you'd like to learn more about how to work with me as your coach, you can schedule a free consult through www.roadtolivingwhole.com backslash health-coaching backslash. Until next time, friend. Bye.